Good morning. <laughs> I am really excited. Um, and not because we're going on holiday this afternoon. But I'm excited because I'm gonna, I've got the chance to actually introduce the new series of talks that we're going to be going into over the next uh, a few weeks. Um, so it's, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, just a question, I, 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 or a statement and, and a question. At some point in our lives, for most of us, if not all, we've, all, we, we've kind of like wanted to become like somebody. We've looked up at somebody and thought, wow, they're so inspiring, or they've been super successful, or they're just like magnetic. You know, some people are just so draw you. And you, I don't know, have you? Have a looked to people and just thought, man, I, I want to be like them. I really want to, I hope I end up like, like that individual. For me, there's been kind of a few, and uh, one that kind of sprung to mind. Uh, it, it, actually, I go back to, I think I was around about 11, 12, 13, that sort of age. Um, I was hanging around quite a bit with my cousins who lived in the street next to us, well, a couple of streets up from us. And for some reason, we were going through a time, me and my cousins, we just wanted to get, like, tough and strung and muscly. <laughs> 13, you know? And uh, I was just like, yeah, this is what we want to do. Now, around that time, we saw the film Rocky. You probably watched it. We watched this story of this guy who was, like, a nobody, uh, and he kind of worked and trained, and he climbed those sort of steep step, uh, stairways to success and fame. And we were just thinking, man, he's just so cool. He's so strong. And he's, oh, I just want to be like Rocky. I want to be him. And, you know, we saw, like, the training regime things that he put himself through to actually achieve and, and how he got there in order to be getting stronger. Remember that? Getting stronger. Yeah, yeah, I found this, uh, I thought I'll pop up a picture, and I also laughed. In the corner it says, the art of manliness. <laughs> Rocky. So train like Rocky, and that's what we wanted to do. So what, what we did is we were doing training. We got hold of like a weight lifting um, bench, some weights and things. And we started to try and incorporate some of Rocky's training regime into our training regime because we wanted to be like Rocky. So we were like eating and drinking raw eggs in milk. <laughs> I know. That's what he did. So, uh, so that's what we, we thought we'd do. We're trying to push weights and we're doing that sort of skipping thing, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> We were even trying to do like the press-ups on one arm and all that stuff, you know. And, uh, well, we've got to be just like Rocky. Um, but we knew, just like Rocky, you know, in order to achieve that, we're going to have to dedicate ourselves for hours a day, for, you know, weeks, months, to actually emulate that physique and the person who was Rocky Balboa. And so we committed to that. We had this plan and we... I mean, we stuck to it for like a couple of years. Um, well, no, not a couple of years, probably a couple of months. Um, actually, I'm lying to her, it was about two days. And so, two days in, I've had enough of this. But 
bet Rocky Balboa was indeed an inspiration to me. I always wanted to be like Rocky. I just didn't want to apply the effort involved in getting there. Now, I'm sure for most of you, as I say, and maybe you still have, you know, you can look back and think and remember, but also maybe today you're thinking, yeah, actually, there are a number of people that I know and I look to and, and I'm, they're inspiring, I want to be like them. They're really, really great. But how many of us know that whilst we can look around, there are absolutely some fantastic role models out there, some great people to want to inspire, uh, to, to aspire to be like, but also, there are lots of not-so-good people out there that we may look to. I mean, I think of all like the countless stories that we read in newspapers about well-known sporting heroes or you know, rock or pop stars. And, and many of our youngsters look up to them and they're like, oh, I want to be like this person. And then you read all the stories about them and let's say they're not, they're, you know, they've got this kind of colourful... <laughs> lifestyle uh, or you know they're just repulsive in their behaviors and that's on the pitch or off the pitch or on the stage and off the stage <clears throat> and so it's not be- it didn't take long before we actually realized these people are probably not the best ones for us to look up to and aspire to be like they're not the greatest role models and in fact they're rarely the ones that we really should aspire to be like Well, in this series that I'm just starting up, Emulate, um, what we're going to talk about is one who, well, you know, we really could do well to aspire to be like, to look up to, be inspired by, and seeking to become more and more like the person Jesus Christ. Now, in this series, it actually comes right off the back of that previous series that I was teaching right at the beginning of the year, Living It. Um, this will kind of take us right up to Advent, the beginning of December. Man, that's racing up on us, isn't it? Hey, frightening, it's coming. So this, hopefully this series will actually take us right up to there. Uh, now, as I say, it comes right off the back of the Living It series that I started at the beginning of the year. So what I'm going to have to do is kind of dip in uh, and kind of resurface some of the things that I was talking about way back in January, okay? So actually, for the sake of some of the people that weren't around for the Living It series and for the rest of us who have forgotten it all <laughs> anyway, who just didn't listen. Uh, I, know, I know you're out there. <clears throat> now, what I was saying at the beginning was uh, we as human beings, we were never meant to be this static, unchanging entity we were made to be dynamic we were made to be ever-changing and developing and you know that largely occurs through the uh, external influences things from the outside that stimulate and bring about change in our life and that takes place right from birth a couple of years ago i was doing some reading about the um, the discovery of mirror neurons i have mentioned them before can anybody remember that mirror neurons mirror neurons that are fascinating what neuroscience discovered and this is in like the late 1990s so it's a relatively recent discovery that each of us have these cells neurons in parts of our brain that fire up 
when we mirror the actions and behaviours of other human beings around us. It's fascinating. And what these scientists say, and they're still studying all this, um, is that these neurons are absolutely crucial in the development of self-identity within babies. It's, it's, it's amazing. As a newborn interacts with other human beings, and we're talking through like touch and facial expressions and sounds, what they do is they develop a, an awareness of self-existence, something they wouldn't do if they never had those interactions. It's incredible. Now, I've loved watching um, all this taking place in the life of our granddaughter, uh, Matilda. Tilly, to me, okay? Everybody else is Matilda, but uh, Tilly. And this is like, when she was born, she was only like, um, like months old. And you saw this mirror neuron thing occurring. You know, if you went up to her and you would like, stick your tongue out or something, and she'd do it back at you. I mean, you guys that have got kids, you know, they do this fast, and we love it, don't we? Um, or, you know, big smile, big cheesy smile, and they do the same. And it's absolutely fantastic to see this development thing taking place through them mimicking others. And as I say, this, this continues to happen. And this video here is like when she's a, a one-year-old. It wasn't that long ago, was it? Uh, and okay, if you want to fire it back up again, what what's happening here is she is uh, emulating what her mum does with her. She's trying to get a nappy on Dolly, and then she rocks Dolly to make her go to sleep. I went ah, oh. <laughs> great reaction. I think it's just incredible what this development thing that's going on. And that continues on through our life. You know, so self-understanding who we are and who we're becoming, how we kind of fit into the world, it's all formed and affected by many, many external things. Now, this is where we dip back into some of the things I was talking about in January in the, in the uh, Living It series. This diagram, some of you will remember that. Yeah. We were talking about it loads. Now, this is a diagram which talks about unintentional formation or unintentional change. Uh, when I first showed this diagram, what I was saying was, you know, without us applying any intention in our lives or any effort whatsoever, we are being changed daily. Did you know that? You are being changed every day. Just the fact that you go out, get up in, in the morning tomorrow, you go out and about and do your things that you do, you are being or subjected to influences of change every day. We're bombarded by just numerous um, uh, influences that are shaping us and affecting who we are today and who we're becoming tomorrow. Now, these chief uh, influences is what I've put up on this diagram here. Uh, in this triangle. The top one, it speaks about the stories. So this is like one of the main things which affect and, and form who we are. The stories that we are told in growing up. So what our parents told us, what the teachers told us, and what our peers tell us, society as a whole. These are like the narratives 
that explain how the world works and who we are and how we fit into it. They shape our identity. Now, the trouble is, not all these narratives that we grow up with are true. They're not all true. Sometimes they're just mildly distorted. Sometimes they are just out of whack. They're wrong. I mean, I don't know if there's any of you that have, uh, in growing up, had a parent or a teacher just repeatedly yelling at you, you're stupid and lazy, you'll amount to nothing. That's what I mean by a narrative, a story that has been kind of given to us. Or if you've been told, man, you're just like your father. Or, yeah, man, you're, you're turning right into the same person of, uh, that your mum was. Referring to maybe how unhinged they were or <laughs> scatterbrained they were or something. <laughs> or maybe we, are, we grow up hearing a teaching or an idea surrounding sex and marriage. You know, maybe we grow up here being told that marriage, you know, marriage is just a social construct. It's just this cultural idea that we've made up. Um, and, you know, like sex, that's, that's just something that we, it's a fun thing that we do to gratify our own animal desires. <laughs> it's all just fun, good, good fun. Now, if you brought up believing that story, that narrative, it will have a direct effect on how you enjoy or don't enjoy your sexuality and relationships and indeed marriage. So this is how powerful that stories are, these narratives that, that come at us. So these stories, these narratives that we hear, we often believe them to be true. And we build our lives around them and so they shape who we are. We don't have to make that our intention It just happens. All we do is just hear it and believe it. (laughs) The second thing on this chart here um, that shapes us without us intending it to is related to our habits. Those ritualistic sort of repetitive things that we do day in, day out, those things actually do something to us. They affect us. So these routines, these habits, they become so embedded in us, embedded in the routines of our day, they get right into the core of us, what the Bible calls the heart. They get right into the center of who we are. They shape us. They shape our desires and change our longings. The third thing, and by the way, I'm skipping straight over this. As you've noticed, I'm really buzzing over this quickly, not dwelling on the past. The sections too much. But the third thing to shape or change us without us intending it to are the relationships we have. Think now about the people who you surround yourself with the most. We have a tendency to become like those who we hang out with. Think back to when you were growing up. I know that's difficult for some of you. Um, but Think back, you're at school. Think about the people you used to hang hang out with. Chances are you dressed like them. Chances are you listened to the same music, watched the same TV soaps, said the same things, laughed about the same things. 
Some of you are thinking about, actually, now, now I think about that, I can recognize that to be the case still today. The people that I hang about with, there's something that rubs off of them uh, uh, onto me. You know, close friends, family, people that you work with in the office regularly. You find, man, I'm like joking about the same things that they joke about, saying the same things, that, same phrases that they say. The thing is, of course, that that sort of connection or the influence that you have from people around you can be a good thing, but it could equally be a bad thing depending on who you're hanging out with, I guess. Um, now, with all the, these elements, there's three three main chief elephant elements, elephants, um, elements there, and. <laughs> um, <laughs> All of these elements, they kind of all take place around an environment. So it's all within a context. So think, it, you know, the town or the city where you live, the village where you live, the place where you work, the place where you socialize, there's always a context, an environment where these things take place. And yet it doesn't happen overnight. It's something that occurs very, very gradually over time. Now, it goes without saying that all these influences that change us, that form us, I mean, they seem to as though they're kind of scheming together sometimes. They're collaborating (laughs) on doing this. Now, I would say they are more than likely not going to shape you into the likeness of Jesus. That's shocking, isn't it? The things of this cult, our culture and this world and people around us are not necessarily going to be working to change you, to bring about transformation into Christ-likeness. Hmm. <laughs> and yet, what we've been saying in our Living It series is that if we claim to be disciples of Jesus, if, we say, if that's what we're saying, we're Christians or whatever you call it, followers of Jesus... However you want to phrase it, if that's what we're saying we are, that's what it actually means, doesn't it? That we are becoming or seeking to become more and more like him. So that becomes our goal. And, uh, and we're kind of looking at how, how we outwork that. I've just got some chapters, some Bible passages that we're going to look at too, which kind of speaks directly into this. Um, if, you want to, if you're following your Bible, obviously the, the words are coming up here anyway, but Luke chapter 6, as I say, speaks directly into this. Uh, verse 39, he says, Also, he also told them a parable as Jesus is speaking. This is like, I think it's the shortest parable in the Bible. Okay, it's real short, just two, two verses. He says, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? And he's in a real dig at the religious right people of his day, the kind of Pharisees, the religious teachers. And he says, in any way, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Now, in this parable, Jesus is directly talking about discipleship. And he's saying, everyone who's fully trained, so you're a fully, fully trained disciple, apprentice, they will become like their teacher. So true 
trained disciples of Jesus will begin to emulate Jesus such that over time that you begin to look more and more like him. And I'm talking about not wearing sandals and growing a beard. Obviously, we're talking about in his character and his nature, in our speech and our reactions and responses to people around us. Check out John 13, 15, Jesus again speaking. He says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I've set you an example. And Jesus said this straight after he'd just done the lowest of low jobs. He had humbled himself, he stooped down, and he scrubbed clean the dirty feet of his disciples. (laughs) He's just done that. (coughs) And that kind of summarizes his whole life purpose, doesn't it? That he came, he stooped, he condescended himself in order to clean our mess. His message was, look, you know, I've lived life in a different way, a whole different way to a whole different set of values and priorities. I'm living according to a completely different reality called the kingdom of God. And I invite you to come and live in that reality as well, to emulate me. Come live that same way. Do what I have done. Live according to the example that I have given to you. Then in John 20, 21, this is just, this is Jesus has been crucified, he's risen, he's appeared to a bunch of people, and he's soon to ascend to his Father in heaven. And he said this, again Jesus said to them, peace be with you, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Same purposes, same things that I did, you do, be like me, do the things I did. And the thing is, making transformation into Christ-likeness, making our life goal, is more than just reading about him. (laughs) It's more than just reading the Bible or reading books about Jesus and gaining information. We have to put something into practice. I think this is the doorway thing. The door is ajar. God has made the door open. We've got to actually go through it. And we've got to actually press it open. We've got to start doing something. Um, and, and all this is doing is we're aligning ourselves with that what our Heavenly Father has for us and what he is planning to do in us. <coughs> we're just committing to what... God is doing. You know, Jesus said, my father is always at work. My father is always working. So doing this, saying, yes, um, I'm going to emulate Jesus, is purely us aligning aligning ourselves um, with what the father is doing or seeks to do with us. It was St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, that said, without God, we cannot. Without us, God won't. So, without God, we cannot, in other words, we cannot be transformed into Christ-likeness without God. But without us, God won't. It's like this, it's a cooperation between us, isn't it? We have a part to play, and God has a part to play in it as well. Let's look at some passages that speak about God's commitment to that. 2 Corinthians 3. 
from verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, if any of us turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate. And another way of translating that word is reflect. So we all, with unveiled faces, we reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I just love that. You know, we are being transformed into his image, and it's this progressive thing. It's, it, it, it's ever-increasing, is what it says. And this transformation is it's made possible because of the Lord. We need him too. It's not just about what we do. Romans 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So the whole point is that God has a part to play, but so do we. It's about us aligning ourselves with God, God's mission for us. And it's more than just reading about him. It's more than reading the Bible. So how then do we put the, play our part in this? How do we actually, in the outworking, align ourselves with that, what God wants to do? How do we resist those three things in the triangle, kind of offset them, push back the narratives, the stories, the habits, and the relationships that perhaps push us away from being Christ-like. Well, that's our second diagram. We've just replaced, uh, replaced a few things uh, in this uh, diagram. We, we offset each of the areas of influence those things that are going to promote anything other than Christ-likeness, we have to push back on. So the stories that we grew up with, those narratives, those things that we believe, we replace those or we offset those with good teaching, biblical, biblical teaching, books written that help us understand the Bible, listening to teaching in church here, in life groups, listening to podcasts that are you know, all over the internet from churches, good or true, biblical teaching replaces those stories. We replace the habits, those day-to-day repetitive rituals, we offset those with our practices. Now this, it's at this point where we're kind of spurring off for this new series that we're starting. <clears throat> so we'll kind of put a mental bookmark in there. <laughs> I remember we'll come back to that. Um, the relationships that we surround ourselves with are those that are influencing us and to change us not in a good way, um, not stirring us to Christ-likeness. We offset those with community. This is doing life with those you see around you here this morning. It's doing life with those who also have chosen to follow Jesus and become his disciple. We constantly saying here you can't be a disciple you can't change bring about transformation in isolation it is done in community alongside others now as with the previous diagram all this again it doesn't happen overnight it takes place 
in an environment, but over time. The environment that was our city, our town, a place where we work, socialize, or whatever, that is counteracted with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit becomes our dominant influence, our dominant reality. He has more of an influence over our life than our environment or our culture. So this is all about us like leaning into the Spirit, or what the Bible says, abiding in the Spirit, <coughs> finding our home in Him. We need to make God's Spirit the primary way in which we experience life and the world. This is what Paul says in the New Testament when he was talking about, quote, walking in the Spirit, unquote, or um, keeping in step with the Spirit, is the way he put it. And it's out of that, sort of keeping in step, practicing his presence, whatever you want to call it, of the Spirit, walking in tune with him, walking in frequency with him, that we start to see the fruit of the Spirit start bursting out of our own lives. Like love and joy and peace and forbearance and self-control and all those things. Now, as before, as I say, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. So, that's a couple of diagrams that I know it's kind of familiar with, with some of you, and I've really zipped over that. You know, I took like a week's <laughs> a couple of months to actually work through uh, all of that. So we've really flown over that. But the essence of this is, of what we're saying today, is one, change is inevitable. It is happening. We are all in that process of change. We're all being shaped by something or somebody. So we kind of, in a sense, we're all disciples of something. We're all disciples of somebody. The question is, who are you a disciple of? <laughs> Or what are you a disciple of? And secondly, in order to be disciples of Jesus, it is to be intentional about what we are becoming. To really think about that and say, I'm going to set my intention to becoming more like Jesus. And as I say, it takes more than just reading the Bible, more than reading about him. We have to couple that with action. You know, often I think sometimes we find ourselves looking at becoming Christ-like the way I did as a kid, becoming like Rocky. <laughs> I, I can see it. I want to I get there, but I just don't want the effort. <laughs> I just don't want to apply myself. So, okay, coming back to that junction, that sort of mental bookmark that we stuck in. We're talking about replacing our habits then with good Practices. Now, when we looked at that just before the summer, we were concentrating on all those um, spiritual practices of Jesus, weren't we? Things like solitude and silence and prayer and fasting and practicing the Sabbath and so on. Those are what I call are like inward practices, uh, the kind of personal heart practices that bring about transformation in our life. Now, with this new series, what we're going to do is we're going to get super practical. And I like super practical. Um, what we're going to look at, we're going to spend some weeks looking at the outward practices that we can engage in. So this is all about us. Firstly, becoming more like Jesus through us imitating some of the characteristics of Jesus. Again, this is the, you know, leaning on to that 
uh, premise that the things that we do repeatedly do something to us. They change us. And the second thing is allowing Christ-likeness to spill out of us, uh, to overflow from our lives to others. So, yes, that's what we're going to be looking at. And, it, and as I say, so we're expecting life change in us. All these practices are about change in us. But in this case, they have the potential to change others around us and potential to change our communities. <clears throat> and that's why I kind of call them outward practices because they are practices that affect us, but they also affect um, others around us as well. Um, I was just thinking about that, the whole thing about our actions. You know, it's an outward thing, outworking in our actions and how we interact with others. There's a friend of mine, a guy called Bill Dixon. Uh, I met him when we used to be part of the Birmingham Vineyard. He's still part of one of the, the vineyards over there in the Midlands. He, I think it was last week, he posted this uh, statement up on Facebook and I said I've got to steal this I got in touch with him can I use that because it's just so brilliant I think it's fantastic anyway he said this he said if folks can't see something of Jesus in you then don't take the risk of opening your mouth you run the risk of spoiling it (laughs) I think that's brilliant (laughs) in other words if people can't see Jesus through your actions and through your character then don't try go speaking his message because you're going to screw his message up. <laughs> our actions and, our, and that what we say really do need to uh, line up. <clears throat> and we want to be those who emulate Jesus. We want to be those who look and taste and feel and you know, interact with others just like Jesus. I mean, remember that passage in Luke 6, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So that's what we're going to look at over these uh, next few weeks, is how can we emulate Jesus' character? You know, once growing more and more like him internally, how can we display that? We'll look at things like kindness. How can we outwork God's kindness where we live, where we work? You know, kindness, I was thinking about this. Kindness is not just being nice. Kindness isn't like niceness, another way of saying niceness. Emulating God's radical, no-strings-attached kindness uh, to, to others has the potential of leaving God's indelible impression on other people's lives. You know that? Because as we do it in his name, he's at work as well. It has the potential to do something really powerful. In Matthew 5, it says, In this same way, let your light shine before others so that when they see your good deeds, they'll glorify your Father in heaven. It's like God has the ability to use our acts of kindness to enable people to see and experience him. I think we kind of like forget that sometimes. And say, it's just it's nice, isn't it, doing something nice and kind. It's way more than that. <laughs> so next week, Chris is actually going to talk and expand and, and, and you know, let us know how can we outwork that in real practical ways and, and what's the benefit of that. 
when I get back from our holidays, I want to share some stuff about being forgiving. Emulating God's character of forgiveness. Now, I realize that is a real sort of tread carefully area. (laughs) It's a tender area for many, yet forgiveness is the central ingredient um, that grants us the ability to be in relationship with God and others, you know, to be effective uh, in that. Someone described forgiveness as the oxygen of the kingdom of God. And I like that. Just as oxygen is essential to us, we have to breathe it in, don't we? (laughs) But also we have to breathe it out. We have to exhale it. And it's actually the same with forgiveness. Every single one of us need forgiveness. We have to take it in. But just like oxygen, we have to exhale that. We have to exhale forgiveness out to others as well. You know, I've come across people in the relatively short time that I've been pastoring, I've come across people who have been badly hurt. I mean, traumatized by other human beings, and it's just, it horrifies us. And they've often said, you know what, I just can't forgive them. I can't forgive them. And and then when you kind of get into the conversation, you start to realize sometimes that I can't forgive they say that it's because they have a distorted view of what forgiveness actually is. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share some stuff on what forgiveness isn't and what forgiveness is. And we'll take a look at some of the benefits of forgiveness, benefits to the, the giver and benefits to the receiver. Um, we'll also take some time. We'll look at the nuts and bolts of how we actually go about this forgiving in our almost everyday uh, situations. <laughs> 12 o'clock on the nose look at that <laughs> let's um, we close it off for today but do come along next week expecting expect to be challenged and expect to hear an invitation of participation for participation God just wouldn't say yes you know in all of this you just want to say yes. So, yeah, let's, let's pray together.